Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers from Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my wonderful co-hosts with me today. First up, he's a lore expert. He also really likes warriors. That'd be Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi, how's it going? Warriors? Warriors. Oh, yeah, I guess I do play a few of those. A few. Eh. Every now and again. A few. Yeah. I think, like, the maximum amount of characters you can have is, like, what, 50? On one account, yeah. Yeah, and I have, like, 42 warriors, I think. <laughs> I know I've got one. I've got two for every race, because I have to have a male and a female. And I like to have, you know, I've got, like, a bunch for every, I've got, like, a bunch for every spec. Like, I've got a bunch of arms warriors and a bunch of fairy warriors and a bunch of prop warriors. So, yeah, I think i got, like, 42. I'll have to sit back at some point and explain to make sure I've got, I don't have one of every race anymore because I don't have one for every allied race yet. Oh, okay. I haven't got all the horde allied races unlocked yet. Okay. Well, that's Rossi. Um, speaking of which, we've got our other co-host with us and he likes shaman and, and he's also a lore expert and that would be Joe Perez. Hey, Joe. Hello. I don't have nearly as many as Rossi, but I'm close. I'm in the 30s. Good lord, and I thought I was going overboard with, like, three rogues. Well, the um, problem is a lot of them are from the days before yeah. we could cross realm. Right. So, like, I just built characters on servers where my friends were in different yeah, factions. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I have one alliance rogue, one horde rogue, and then I have a rogue that was rolled on a PvP server specifically to be a twink alt during Burning Crusade, if I remember right. Might have been vanilla. I think it was vanilla, actually. Anyway, regardless, they're still there. I haven't leveled them, but they are still there. They have a bunch of cool, outdated, completely useless stuff in their bags, too. It's great. Uh, okay, so uh, this week's Lore Watch, look, we're, we're going to be totally honest with you. I'm going to apologize because the last couple of weeks we have gotten off on our tangents and everything, and we never actually got to the emails that we intended to get to. So we have quite the backlog. So I figured, well, maybe we could start to address that backlog today and answer some of your emails because we say that we do that and then we don't actually do that. So I do want to like get some of this backlog out of the way. I don't think that we're going to reach every email in the bucket list here, but you know, if we hit one or two, I'll be happy. Speaking of emails though, if you have an email, a question for the show in regards to World of Warcraft lore, Overwatch lore, any kind of Blizzard lore really, we answer pretty much everything guys you can send that to podcast at blizzardwatch.com just be per- sure that you put lore watch in the subject line of the email so that we know that it's intended for this show and not the other one um that said let's hop right in uh first email is from pitya who says question for lore watch greetings lore watchers it is i pitya goblin elemental shaman and goblin enthusiast i have a question revolve involving the portrayal of goblins in patch 8.2. First, is Gazlo a full member of the Horde, abandoning his neutrality? There's mentions from Savvy and Grizzik that Gazlo has to report to Gallywix. Gazlo also seems to go out of his way to invest his money more generously than goblins have been portrayed. I feel like it's a purposeful effort by Blizzard to change the portrayal of goblins in-game. Do you agree? Bonus points for how nicer Gilblins are in Nazjatar as well. Thanks. So, what do you guys think? Gazlo's not really a full member of the Horde, is he? He's not. Yep. No, he is. Mm. He was in charge of the. He was in charge of the hordes in Northland, uh, rebuilding right? operation in Durotar as well. He he built Durotar. 
Gaslow is a member of the Horde. Uh, he doesn't hate the Alliance. He's said so multiple times uh, when you read about him in the, I can't remember the name of the book, Shattering? Yeah, when 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 Garrosh and uh, Karen had their fight and Karen died and uh, Gaslow helped Bane, he straight up says, you know, I'm not, I don't have anything against the, the Alliance, So, but I work for the Horde. Well, I, I think know. I think that's just because his affiliations with the Grease Monkeys, which are hired out at this point, right? Like, that's his group. That's the group from Ratchet. He was neutral for a very long time. No, he was chief. He was chief engineer of Duratar. He's been. It, it's like saying you can't really okay, say he's okay. neutral. He's. I answered this in a Q question a while back, so I'm going to go ahead and establish this. D- was he a chief engineer of the Horde? Yes, he was in Duratar back in Warcraft Three. Like Thrall, pretty much hired him on to help mm-hmm. design Orgrimmar. Um, once that was done and over with. He left, and he went to go ahead and establish the port town of Ratchet um, with the rest of the goblins. Ratchet is a neutral city. Gaslow is technically, he's part of the whole um, Steamweedle cartel. So he is technically neutral, and I'm air quoting this. But he's got obvious favoritism towards the Horde. Because the Horde gave him a really big substantial contract, and Thrall was really good about paying him on time. So there's kind of like, it's not necessarily loyalty, it's more like the money is over there. And he's not exactly enchanted with the Alliance at the moment, because there was a bit in... Was it in Cataclysm? Yeah, it was in Cataclysm when they did the Cataclysm revamp. One of the Alliance rear admirals wanted to prevent the Horde from coming to Ratchet altogether, like from even using the city. And Gaslow didn't like that because it was like cutting off half of his profits. So the the little bit of goodwill that he had towards the Alliance kind of shriveled a little bit more at that point because you See, don't you don't cut into a goblin's profits. I still, I would actually dispute this because he, again, during Warlords of Draenor, he doesn't just show favoritism towards the Horde. He straight up works for them and not oh, as yeah. a Oh, yeah. No, this was all pre Warlords. This right. was all, this was all yeah. pre Warlords. But the thing is, is like, I think that in terms of taking contracts, he would take contracts for anyone, but he has a very he has a very obvious preference and leaning towards the Horde. And a lot of that has to do with what went down in Cataclysm on top of previous contracts that he had with the Horde that turned out better. So he hasn't like officially sworn himself to the Horde or anything. He's not a member of the Bilgewater cartel like the goblins that are actually in the Horde. He's still part of the Steam Weedle. So technically from the most bare bones technical standpoint he's supposed to be neutral. Is he? Not so much. He doesn't appear to be. And especially with what happened in Warlords. You're right about that Rossi. I'm talking about, like, free warlords and cataclysm here. I'd also argue that his actions since, especially in Battle for Azeroth, especially in Mechagon, show that he's not neutral. uh, And he is, in fact, working directly. Oh, yeah. No, and Um, I I, I don't argue with that. It's just, like I said, the early history, the stuff with um, him being chief engineer of the Horde and all of that back in Warcraft 3, that was kind of a contracted position. It wasn't... It wasn't him swearing fealty to a faction or anything like that. It was, your money is good and you want me to do this big job. Okay. (laughs) I think he's got kind of a soft spot for the Horde because of that. And he's demonstrated that a couple of different times. Um, I think so, too. I think it was always a little more prevalent before uh, 
Gallywix was around because Gallywix seems it Gazlo don't necessarily get along. No, they do not. And Gazlo is like even even like with the stuff with the grease monkeys, right? Like even the stuff that leads up to Mechagon, Gazlo is paying out of his own pocket to them. Like he's paying them that that overtime. And if I was reading the quest correctly, he's not even sure Gallywix is going to pay him. So like it, it's it's an interesting position to be in. I don't think any of the goblins really like Gallywix or have any sort of loyalty to him other than he's just got the most money right now and sort of the ear of the banshee. So uh, I don't know, but he definitely has been portrayed as giving his money more generously than other goblins. Um, Gazel has always been portrayed as giving, caring a little bit more about people. And I'm using people in quotes like goblins and, and stuff like that than some of the well, others. I mean, let's, let's go back again to the shattering. Yeah. Without Gazel, Bane doesn't get away. Yep. Yeah. Gazlow did that, and he didn't do it for money. He did it because he liked Cairn. He even says, you know, profit's profit, but I like the old bull. Yep. You know, he Gazlow, it's not just Gazlow here. I, I think we should, there's a stereotype of goblins being ridiculously mercantile, and they are ridiculously mercantile, but... And Gallywix is kind of like the embodiment of that. Yeah. There have been there have been a few goblins who have been portrayed as different. Uh, the, we were just talking the the people who get mentioned in the first part is the savvy and Grizzik part. I mean, there's some goblins that are more inventive and less mercantile. Uh, your PC goblin is shown as being a little bit less mercantile. Mm-hmm. There's that the one the shaman one from Cataclysm, who is he is shamanism is definitely transactional. Yeah, but he is portrayed as being. I don't want to say brave, but I can't come up with a different word for what he, he, he gets out there and fights for the, you know, earth and ring with the rest of them. He's not, it's not ultimately profit that he's after at least not gold. And you know, he's, it's not money. It's a network of favors you could say, but he, he may be approaching it from a transactional level, but he's not, um, he's not a mercenary. He's part of the earth and ring. And to be fair, like, I think every, every, thing you do is always framed by your own personal references. So goblins in that regard, like you're saying, it's almost uh transactionary, but that's the frame of reference that they know. Right. So not necessarily that it's like you said, they're not just all cut through mercantile people. They're just framing it like that because that's how they understand it. And even the, like I the think... generous transactions have a sort of that feel to it. Um, but... Unlike the NPCs that have always like the NPCs are almost always portrayed to be cut. through. I think. Well, yeah, but a lot of them aren't. I mean, that's what I'm trying to say is that goblins are as individual as anybody. No, I agree. It's just that we haven't, we don't have that many goblin NPCs, really. If you think about it, we've got some, but they're there's nowhere near as common. It's like saying all all blood elves are snooty. It's a it's a it's a prejudice and a bit of a joke. It isn't necessarily the, the case that they're actually all snooty. It's just compared the the, the blood elf personal energy comes off as a little nose in the air but even when it's like lady liadrin who is pretty down to earth for the former priest of the light who lost her light and then you know became a blood knight and then regained her faith in the light and became you know full-fledged paladin again and went back to you know she's her life story when you start discussing it yeah of course she's a little up herself she's got a lot of weight on her shoulders she's very important to the future of her people of course she's gonna be a little like that it's almost like um people assuming that gnomes are all like ridiculously cute and kind of goofy and then you look at mechagon but and then you look at mechagon yeah yeah 
Oh, no. Or, no, that is or, not the case at all. <laughs> or Thermaplug, for that matter, going all the way back to good old sicko Thermaplug. That, that's a guy who irradiated his own people. I mean, gnomes can be quite friggin' scary. Goblins can be generous. It's just their social framework is there. It's the context they grow up in, grow up in just like the society you grow up in every day is going to affect how you present yourself to the world, how the world, how you filter the world. It's the way you look at life. It's sort Same of like um, when you like somebody, you get them a present or you tell them they look nice or whatever, right? For a goblin, if they like somebody, they give them 25% off. You know, it's like, <laughs> that's, it, it. it's the framework in which they've like grown up and existed. And I feel like goblins in general, we haven't really gotten a lot of goblins. We have a lot of goblin NPCs out there. You're right. We do. But there aren't a lot out there that have had any kind of narrative written around them. No, to, like there's the one the point, we, yeah, yeah there's like the one in Gadget Zan who's like, it's her and a gnome and they're both spy masters. Yeah. But you don't get to know anything about her other than mm-hmm. she's there and she's a goblin. Yeah. I mean, that's... There's a few different ones like that. And I feel like Gaslo, I think Gaslo actually in the Shattering novel, that was the first time that I saw Gaslo as something more than traditional goblin because the quests and things that he gives you, it, it's, he's got a very... In all of the quest texts and everything back in vanilla, he always had the very goblin quest text and it had a very goblin feel to it. He wanted you to go take care of business for him so that he could continue doing his business and that kind of thing. And it wasn't really until I read The Shattering and there was that comment about Cairn that I was like, oh, okay, there's more to this guy. There is more to this guy. Um, Gallywick's Nobody's really a huge fan of Gallywicks. And frankly, the only reason that Gallywicks is leading the Bilgewater cartel right now is because Thrall spared his life and left him in charge. And I don't think that there's anybody that is particularly happy about that, but they're dealing with it because they don't really have a choice. He's the one that's pulling the strings. Um, and I know that, Pidia, you mentioned in your email that uh, Savvy and Grizzik said that Gazlo has to report to Gallywix. Well, yeah, he does, technically speaking, because he's working on the Horde's behalf for something. So even though he doesn't necessarily like Gallywix um, or agree with Gallywix, he still, still has the, to... That's still the holder of the contract. Yeah, contractually speaking, he's obligated to report to Gallywix. And honestly, if you played on the Horde side... And you have, obviously. Um, if you played on the Horde side, that whole quest chain where you're sent to go hunt down Grizzik and Savvy and figure out what happened to them, um, Gallywix wants you to do it. And he wants you to do it because he wants to like get them out of the picture. He wants his revenge. When you leave the boat after accepting that quest from Gallywix, Gazlo is on the dock and he stops you and he says, I'll pay you more than what Gallywix is if you let these guys go. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, tell Gallywix, oh, you didn't find him. <laughs> so, like, um, Gazlo's obviously not working in cahoots with Gallywix at all. I don't think he even really likes Gallywix. I mean, and if you do the going back to the goblin starting zone, right? Like when you start rolling a goblin the first time, nobody likes him because how he got to be where he is is yeah. essentially, well, you want to live, give me all of your money, literally all of it, because that means that uh, nobody can possibly challenge me to be the trade prince. Peace. Um, nobody likes him. 
Uh, the other side of that that I, I, I do want to point out that I do agree with Pity real quick is I do like how the Giblins are portrayed yeah. in Najatar. They're very not typical goblins, and I like that because up to this point, anytime we've seen Giblins, they've just been sort of meatheads. Uh, feral, nasty. Yeah. yeah. And now we're actually getting them, and they're like, oh, okay. They actually have personalities. They have an entire culture. They've been oppressed by Ejara for all this time. Uh, and dealing with her BS. So I kind of like that they're given a chance to be more than just a backdrop race. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to go ahead and move on to the next email here. And this is from the Kunkka, who says, Greetings, Lore Masters. I just completed catching up on all your episodes at episode 100. Now, keep in mind that we are much later than that right now. So apologize it's taken so long to get to your email, but that's okay because I like the email very much. Uh, he said, To celebrate, I wanted to write in with a simple question based on your final question of episode 100. Could the next expansion be the end times? May the Earth Mother guide you, the Konka. I, okay. I want to tie this one into the next email, if you guys don't mind, because I think that the next email actually talks about some of the stuff that might be relevant to this question, if that's Go okay. Okay. Uh, so the next email is, it has no name on it. I'm very upset about this. I thought it did, but that's okay. Uh, the next email says, greetings, lore walkers. I was getting caught up on episodes of lore watch, and you talked about the potential future of the dragon flights, and it got me thinking. We haven't heard from Alex Straza for a while now, which is surprising given the death of Ysera and the losses dealt to her flight by the Death Lord. The Deaths of Chromie scenario also stands out as a dangling thread, plus the whole deal with Rathian and the return of his agents. It seems like Blizzard might be setting the groundwork for a Dragonflight-themed expansion. Is it possible that we'll see an expansion focused around the Dragonflights finally starting to take an active role again? Alex Straza has good motivation for trying to regain her life powers. Rathian is in a good position to start making moves following whatever the fallout of Battle for Azeroth is. Um, maybe resurrecting the Black Dragonflight. We could use some Earth Borders about now. The Green Dragonflight needs a new leader, and it would be a good time for the Bronze Flight to go infinite and serve as the catalyst and main threat for the expansion. I could even imagine a dragon-based race for the expansion, or a new class based on harnessing dragon abilities. Red Flight for healing, Black for tanking, Blue for ranged DPS. A dragon expansion would be a swerve on Blizzard's part, but not the most unexpected idea they've run with by far. Hello, Warlords. Um, and then they close by saying tinfoil hat time is their favorite. I, I feel like I feel like if we were going to do an end time thing, it seems like only natural that the dragon flights would be involved in some way or another. And this person does have some good points as far as maybe there should be activity where there hasn't been any or what have these people been doing behind the scenes? That kind of thing. I don't know. What do you guys think? I'll let Rossi go first. Okay. This is going to require a bit of help. Okay. I'm putting it in the chat so you two can see it while I talk about it. There's a thing that they were going to do way back when they were first developing World of Warcraft. Oh, oh I man. see. This yes. Is old school. Yeah. 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 It's a map. If you look at the map at the north, past Qualthalos, there's a place called the Dragon Isles. Dragon Isles. Yep. And it was going to be a raid with old god temples on these Dragon Isles. Like implying that the dra the dragons are on those isles had fallen under the sway of the old gods, uh, possibly it was related to um, the black dragon flight. Uh, it didn't get done. <clears throat> it didn't actually get in the game, but the islands were there up until I think Wrath. They, yeah, they were, were islands. There were islands off the coast of of northern 
Eastern kingdoms. They, they were just there. You couldn't really get to them, but they existed. Uh, <clears throat> they later basically used the idea for Quel'Thalas and, you know, the Isle of Quel'Thalas. They, they kind of the used Sunwell. the idea. Yeah. Yeah. But, since Rathion's people have been talking about the Dragon Isles in this expansion, I've been thinking about them and what, why they would come up. Why is Rathion talking about them? If we're going to do... One of the things we... I feel like we're at this point, I'm going to have to throw out a mild spoiler warning here for the end of the Ezshara raid. Yeah, let's so go if, ahead and do that. If you haven't seen the end of that raid, if you don't know what happens, I don't know, skip ahead or come back when you have, because you can you can view the cinematic online, or you can go kill Ashara if your raid's doing that. But uh, at the end of that raid, Ashara is fighting the players, and she's telling you, you know, thank you for bringing the heart of Azeroth to us, because it's exactly what we needed to open a Titan's prison, the heart of you know, the heart of a Titan. And you know, and, th- and that's what the the whole encounter is about. You know, Ashara is stealing power from the heart to open the uh, the prison, and uh, I think it's Delisra who says, Delisra makes a comment like, oh my, she's stealing the power from the heart. And Ashara's like, you just noticed? That's quite a high arcanist you are, or something to that effect. She's she's quite sarcastic. It's brilliant. When the fight ends, it, when we beat Ashara, we fail. We do not succeed in stopping her. She opens the locks. It's in fact in fire, entirely possible that she needed to die to do it, because she goes face down we're at that moment like, oh, I think we won. And then the chains break and the Titan's prison opens and Nazoth is free. And the first thing Nazoth does is grabs Ashara, whose eyes open and goes, she takes a huge breath, signifying that she's still alive. So either she wasn't quite dead or she was and he brought her back. And then he vanishes. And when he vanishes, he says something like all eyes will be opened. And since that happened, I've been thinking about what that means. And what Rathion has to do with it. Because Rathion's been watching the whole time. When we were upgrading the Heart of Azeroth, Rathion's people were watching us. If you go to... The first one you go to is the the Black Dragonflight's uh, Neltharion's Lair. In, in, in a, I want to say Legion, because the High Mountain. In High Mountain. When you go there, you, you can find them watching Ebonhorn. Which means now that Rathion knows about Ebonhorn. And they won't talk to you much. They're just like, you know, yeah, you, you do what you're doing. We're, you know, we're, we're keeping an eye on you. <laughs> we're just um, here observing. La, la, eventually, la. eventually they do say, they do mention the Dragon Isles. They mention that Rathion is looking for the Dragon Isles and that the other Dragon Flights are not being forthcoming with the location. Uh, There's actually a quest <laughs> item that you can get from Island Expeditions. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that keeps me thinking like, Rathion has ingested the heart of an old of an of a Titan, uh, specifically one of the Titan forged, uh, the one that contained Amonthul's essence, because it was a uh, Highkeeper Ra had was one of the two that had Amonthul's essence, and he removed it from himself. And then later on, he had his heart stolen by Li Shen, and Rathion has consumed it. So Rathion has all this knowledge from Amonthul that he doesn't really know how to process or understand. And he even said, you know, what, he even says he's forgotten it after he ingests it. But that doesn't mean he doesn't still have an inkling of what he saw while he had it. And that has me thinking, like, why is he looking for the Dragon Isles now? What's the connection to the old gods? What's the connection to the heart of Azeroth? Because we still have the heart, even though it's been used to open the Titan's prison. We still have it. What's There's stuff going on here. I think by the end of this expansion, I, I think the end of this expansion will be dealing with 
the stuff, the faction conflict and all that. And I think we've, we're going to see the threads of this expansion carried forth into the next one, the way that, that warlords, the threads of warlords carried into Legion and Legion into this. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're going to have the stuff that doesn't 8.2 is going to be one of those raids where it doesn't directly affect this expansion. It goes into the next one. And I think we're going to see the Dragon Isles in the next expansion. I think we're going to see the Dragon Flights. I think by the end of this expansion, it'll turn out that the Hour of Twilight was a feint. It was Nazoth using Deathwing to basically get them to trigger it early, Mm -hmm. to get them to use their powers up early so that they could be removed from play. Because look what happened after. Uh, Nazdormu is effectively out of the picture if he's not already starting to turn into Murazond. Um, Ysera's dead. Uh, Malagos is gone. He's been dead since Wrath, but you know, Caligos's replacement is n- non-effective. Uh, Alex Straza is not doing much of anything, and the dragons are dying. And I think by the end of this, by the time we go into the next expansion, the dragon flights are going to need to come back. I think the fact that we're we're gathering dragon flight essences into the heart mm-hmm. means that that at some point in the future, uh, the Azeroth itself will empower them. It will say, nope, I still need dragons. I still need guardians. I still need protectors. Or Magni will, because Azeroth can't yet, because Azeroth is still a baby. Um, but something along those lines, because the dragons are, the dragons have been taken out of the way, and now the old gods have, a, have free reign. They have a free shot. There's nothing to stop them but us. And we have not exactly proved really good at it up to this point. I think solidly half of the, the, PC, you know, character base kept that stupid eye on their foreheads. <laughs> so, yeah. um, yeah, I definitely think the dragon flights and the dragon isles are going to be a big deal in the next expansion. That's my thing. So I'm inclined to agree with you, uh, about the dragon isles being the thing. Cause I, uh, same thing, like you said, it's been mentioned a lot, but I also started thinking about when we were talking before about the broken guardian and when, when we were in the chamber of the heart, uh, the vitality, mother of vitality, or, or something like that, uh, maiden of vitality, and she starts talking about all these other places, right? Well, I'm almost confident that, especially with like the heart and us gathering the essences and stuff like that, there's probably a Titan facility up in the Dragon Isles. There, there's probably one of those ones that get mentioned, or one of those ones that don't get mentioned, but like we can't be named or whatever. Uh, and it would make sense that we would go there, and if we go through all of the other Titan facilities we've seen in the past, they've all had a way to kickstart something or regenerate something, whether it was the halls of stone and making earthen and uh, the stone Vicryl, uh that engine of origination that's broken um, or any of these other things. What if that's a way to kickstart the power of the dragons again? And that's what Rathion saw. That's what Rathion, that little glimpse of, of, and that's why he's looking for the dragon isles because like you said, dragons are dying. Uh, the only ones that know that would have known anything on how to fix that, to fix the well, uh, the breeding problem, we'll say even at the most basic level, because they're not producing new young, uh, would be the Titans. They're the ones that empowered them to begin with, or, or well, in some capacity, right? Like their power is what flowed through them. Going to the Dragon Isles to find sort of what might be an engine to kickstart the apotheosis of the dragon, uh, dragon flights again. I could see that being a thing. I can also see that being the first step of the next expansion. I still think that's going to be our, our, our I think everything's going to lead into dealing with the void. Uh, I think that's where we're going to be going with it. 
And I think that that's going to be the first step. Cause like you said, they did it for so long. Azeroth is starting to lose protectors at this point. And if we go somewhere else to go deal with it, to go deal with the void, to go deal with them, what are we going to leave behind to protect from what's here? And I think we're going to need the dragons to help kick the old gods and the, the void touches off Azeroth. And then we're going to leave them behind to go do something else. And I have a theory on that, which we can talk about later, but I think that is going to be the first step. And I think that's going to be the first part of resolution from this expansion is dealing with dragons in the next expansion. I feel like in some ways, and I mean, I think we've talked about this before when we were talking about the end time stuff. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to bring up something that I wrote in the queue a few weeks ago. Um, Cause I keep going back to the whole hour of twilight thing. Right. And how the cataclysm expansion, it felt like, it felt like a big moment where we did something really substantial, but then at the end of it, it was kind of a womp womp because the dragons got the short end of the stick out of all of it, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like, well, why would the Titans set them up for that? Like, that just seems like a horrible thing to set them up with. Like, here's your purpose. Okay, you fulfilled your purpose. Now your powers are all gone and you guys are just going to die out. And I was like, wow, that's that's just like a raw deal. And we've talked about this before where it seems like that's just kind of a raw deal. It's like, here, be the protectors of the planet. And then once you finish that, we're going to just make it so you die out entirely. That that didn't really seem like, it didn't really seem like a very honorable thing to do. And then the more that things started coming up, um, especially in Battle for Azeroth, it, I don't know. We've been talking about end time as not possibly really being end time. And I go back to, um, you guys remember fighting Yogg-Saron and you went into the brain room and there was always like those visions in there, like the different yep. visions. The three different visions. Yeah. Yeah. There was one with, uh, Bolvar being tortured, which came to pass. There was one with, Corona kills King Corona. Yeah, four of them. Yeah, there there was that. There was the Dragon Shrine too, right? Corona kills kills um, King Ren. There was uh, the creation of the Dragon Soul. The creation of the Dragon Soul, and then wasn't there one more? Was there one more? There was the the, three I remember. There was the Dragon Temple. That is the creation of the Dragon Soul. That's the creation of the Dragon Soul. Okay, then there was the Death Knight one, right? That's Bolvar. Okay, so There's there was three. three. There were three. And Bolvar came back into relevancy at the end of Ice Crown Citadel. The thing with the Dragon Soul seemed to be coming to pass in Cataclysm because Deathwing came back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that third one, what was the third one again? The death of King Lane. The death of King Lane. That seemed to be almost a reference to like warlords even at that point because it was like Garona Garona came back and we worked with her pretty extensively in warlords um it was weird it was weird because everything that we were being shown it was like why would the old god consider these events relevant okay I get the Bolvar thing because he was like a big part of Wrath of the Lich King but these other two why are these other two relevant and then they kind of showed up and they were a little bit relevant later and it was like oh wow okay so the old god's just kind of sneaky like that right that was Yogg-Saron Nizoth has been dreaming all of this time kind of like in slumber or what have you and it was revealed that he was responsible for the corruption of Deathwing which okay that makes sense that's that's probably why we saw the creation of the dragon soul stuff because that came up in Cataclysm right except that 
the more I think about it, the more I'm like, well, when we think about where we had to go to get everything taken care of, we had to go to the end time scenario in order to defeat Murazond to free up the timeways so we could go back and get the Dragon Soul and defeat Deathwing and all of that, right? When I was talking about this in the Q question, I said, really look at it. In this future, Deathwing is dead. In our future, in our right now, Deathwing is dead because we killed him. In end time, Taronda has fallen to darkness, enveloped in perpetual midnight. In our future, where we're at right now, Taronda has embraced the aspect of the Night Warrior, embodying the darkness of Alun's wrath. In end time, we saw a Bane who was enraged by his failure to protect the world and most importantly, the Horde. In our future, Bane's one of the few in the Horde who's quietly voicing his dissent about the direction that the Horde has gone and the Horde's current leadership. And, I'd argue not so quietly. Yeah, but it, it's getting louder. It was quiet to begin with, but it's getting yeah. louder. Um, in end time... Jaina has been shattered and split into pieces in the midst of what appears to be a pretty heated battle between Alliance and Horde. In our future, where we were at right now, Jaina was frozen for a good long while, trapped and frozen between the optimist and diplomat she used to be and the bitter, vengeful woman she'd become in the wake of Theramore. In end time, so a Madden Sylvanas has lost everything she fought for and she's lashing out at anything still living. And in our future, what is Sylvanas doing? It feels like, in a way, like the brain room of Yogg-Saron, where we were seeing these echoes of events that hadn't happened yet, and then they came to pass later. Only this time, it's like the end of Cataclysm, the stuff that happened in End Time, the stuff that we saw in End Time, was an echo of things that hadn't happened yet, maybe, and now they're coming to pass, which makes me wonder and made a lot of people wonder because a lot of people have been, you know, speculating about this. It hasn't just been us. Mm -hmm. If what we saw as end time, the thing that we supposedly prevented, and I'm air quoting here, by preventing the hour of twilight, were we, did we even experience the hour of twilight at all? And I still maintain that we as heroes are so easily manipulated because you put a big bad in front of us and we just want to go punch it in the face and we don't think about the long-term consequences. Totally possible. Well, here's the thing, though. Think about this. We didn't prevent the thing we, we showed up to do in the first place because when we got there, we couldn't go forward because Murazond was blocking us. And in order to get past him, we went and killed Murazond in front of Nozdormu. Yeah. Who is Murazond. Thus, closing the loop, we didn't prevent it, we started it. That's where Murozond comes from. The thing he says to Amon Thule at the end of his life is him saying, but, you know, when you showed me, you know, this is everything we've done. When we kill Nosdormu in front of Nosdormu, we are saying to Nosdormu, this is your future. This is your fate. This is it happening. You now have not just, it's not just a vision, it's fact right in front of you. You have witnessed for yourself the end of your loop. The moment of your demise. He has to become Murazond. And he even says it, in the future, I will fall to madness. He doesn't say, I might fall to madness. He says, I will fall to madness. It is a certainty now because yeah. we're in that loop. 
Yeah, we did it. From that moment, the door closed. When we therefore go and get the Dragon Soul and use it against Deathwing and do that whole thing to end Deathwing's threat forever, we, we're just progressing along the path. That's going to contribute to his fall to madness because he loses his ability to perceive time. He loses his powers entirely after that. But the hourglass is broken. What happens to the guardian of time when he can no longer guard time? Ooh. And you see, you watch as the, the bronze dragon flight, you know, Kairos tries to find another way to do their job. Mm hmm. They're trying to find other ways. What is what is Nosdormu doing? We see in a vision. Uh, I can't remember her name, but she's she's Nosdormu's mate. Uh, Soradormi. Soradormi. We see her dead. We don't see who kills her. We, we see, see Kairos walking away from her. We don't see who kills her though. We don't see that Kairos did it. We just see that he witnessed something. If right now, if Morozond is alive right now. What was the thing when you first go to the first, when you first go to Black Morass and you're fighting the various bosses, one of them actually says, we will break this clockwork universe. The, and now the, that the timeline's been fixed because we fixed it to that one, that one steady line, they have to break it to make everything happen again. Yeah. Okay. I see that. So from, from the very beginning, the infinite dragon flight was inevitable because everything we did made it inevitable. We contributed mm -hmm. to it. We didn't just contribute to it. We straight up made it happen. Yeah. Yep. Like we go in, like think about why somebody wants to kill Chromie in the first place. We never find out who sent those, you know, the attempts on Chromie's life. Why, who would want Chromie dead and why do they want Chromie dead? And she seems so unconcerned about it all. Mm -hmm. There's the, the whole idea of the old gods. One of the things we know about the old gods is they're the ones that altered our timeline in the first place by changing the war of the ancients by sending, you know, um, Broxigar back in the first place. And Ronan, yeah, yeah, Ronan. No, Ronan went back on his own. He didn't get sent back by the old gods. He oh and, no, uh, not Krasis, by the old gods. Yeah, they got sent back by Nosdormu. Yeah. yeah, he and Crassus got sent back by Nosdormu to try and repair it. But the old gods, we have never played as in World of Warcraft. If you started playing in World of Warcraft, you've never played in a Warcraft universe that hadn't been altered. Mm -hmm. Everything, the timeline we have been in from day one is a different timeline than the one that went before. Broxigar did not happen in the original timeline. Ronin wasn't there teaching, you know, Illidan stuff in the original timeline. They altered things, and those alterations have propagated forward to this future that we're in right now. And for all we know, all of that was to set up the end times that we experienced and the dragon soul raid that we went through and that use of the dragon soul that we made, all of it was to make that possible to depower the dragon flights in the first place to bring about a future where there's nobody to stop them because Nosdormu isn't able to stop them anymore. He doesn't have his powers and he's succumbing to madness. We, it will happen if it has not already happened. Broxigar was the butterfly. Yeah. Broxigar going through and, and not only wounding Sargeras, he wounded Sargeras. Everything from day one, we've been so focused on the threat of the Legion. We've been so focused on what they would do. We took our eyes off of the old gods and step by step, 
going back to that moment that they changed 10,000 years ago, they have been setting all the dominoes in place to remove all opposition from the board. There's and nothing. we've been doing half of it for them. Including oh, yeah. the Burning Legion. Mm-hmm. And Which, right what now, was the Burning Legion originally founded for? To get rid of them. Yeah. Yeah. So there's one other email that I want to address here. Um, because this involves a theory that I've been kind of quietly kicking around but haven't really found enough evidence for yet. However, since they brought it up, I figured, you know what? Why don't we discuss it? Because it is kind of a fascinating theory to begin with. Um, and this is from Zorth- Zorthios on Zoljan. Um, he says, hello, watchers. With Rathion not appearing in any of the recent expansions, we can assume he's working on something behind the scenes. Obviously, we've been talking about the Dragon Isles and all of this. Um, anyway, so Zorthios continues, we know he's looking for the Dragon Isle, but that's it. Do you think that he was the one who told Vol'jin to appoint Sylvanas Warchief? It would make sense if she's trying to unite the two factions like you guys suggested, since Rathion wanted one faction as well. Thank you for the hard work that you do, Zorthios. This is something that I've been kicking around over the last mm, couple of months, but I haven't been able to pull together enough evidence to really kind of support it. However, at the end of Mists of Pandaria, when Varian spares Garrosh's life and decides to bring him to trial and all of this other stuff, Rathion is throwing an absolute fit because what he wanted to do the whole reason he wanted to like bring both factions together and everything was to fight against this like the fact that we couldn't fight against any of these big enemies while we were still at war with each other and when he left he said that he was still going to he said he doesn't didn't care how he had to do it he was gonna make it happen um, which was kind of comical coming from a black dragon whelp as he flew off. At the same time, the things that he did after that, the little things that he did after that, it kind of made me wonder, was he pushing for all of this to happen so that he could get what he didn't get in Mists of Pandaria? He could get a resolution to that war between Alliance and and, and Horde um, because obviously having Garrosh in charge of the Horde wasn't enough of a horrible person for the other facts for the Alliance to actually take take him out like take him out entirely hmm. but Sylvanas so random thought yeah dragons we know can polymorph themselves into humanoid creatures right oh yes we have we ever established if they could masquerade as somebody that already exists i don't think so because if he's sitting there talking we haven't seen him in forever we don't know what he's doing he's got a whole bunch of black ops i mean what if it turns out that like i mean and again this is just completely out there i don't think it's it's likely but you know we pull off the mask of sylvanas at the end and it turns out it was rathian all along no i don't think that's the case yeah i don't think so either but i'm just throwing it out um at the uh and during the events of war crimes, <clears throat> one of the things that happens is that the uh, various partisans that work for that that want to see Garrosh escape attack the the temple of of the White Tiger during his trial, riding on infinite dragons, and Rathion helps them. Yep. And Rathion helps Garrosh escape uh, with Kairos's help. That's Rathion is involved in that. Uh, he even takes pains to make sure that Anduin isn't immediately in danger. I, I don't remember exactly what he does, but he does something. Doesn't he knock him out or whatever? 
I, I honestly don't remember. Yeah, he knocked him out and locked him up. Yeah, but so Rathion has worked with the Infinite Dragonflight. He then, the next time that I remember hearing about him, he travels over to to the Draenor created by Garrosh and Kairos. Um, and he's he's only seen in reports. Uh, I believe it's Admiral Taylor. Not Admiral Taylor. Yeah, it it's Admiral, Admiral Taylor? Taylor's journal. Yeah, it's in his journal that it, Rathion comes through and spends a little time in his garrison before moving on to whatever it is he's doing on the on the world. And we don't find out any more about that. We don't know what he was doing there. Uh, we don't. There's lots of reasons he might have been there. He might have been after some of the Arakoa relics. He might have been there wanting to know more about Grand and the origins of the orcs and you know ogres, uh, the 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 you know creation of the breakers and the primals, the the, the magic of Draenor. Who knows? We don't know what he was doing there. No he was idea. he was basically he sought asylum in the garrison because supposedly he had somehow angered the local ogres. He didn't give mm-hmm. any more details than that in the journal. Yeah, and there's lots of reasons. I mean, the the ogres, the, the Gorian Empire, for instance, created the red pox on Ardranor. So, and it was because the Apexis relics that the ogres in both in both worlds, the ogres learned magic because the the Arakoa taught it to them, and the Arakoa taught it to them because they wanted to get Apexis relics. But the the Ogron wouldn't let them have it. When they we tried to get it, the Ogron just attacked and murdered them. They wouldn't trade. So they went to the ogres and said, you know, you want to overthrow the Ogron, uh, we can teach you magic. And the ogres were like, okay. And it turned out the ogres were really good at magic. Like, not all of them, but the ones with two heads, really good at magic because they derive from a titan creation. Remember, they're all descended from Grand. Yep. So they they effectively count as titan-forged. And they're very good at magic. Uh, ogres like humans. Ogres pick it up very quickly. Uh, so the uh, ogres learned from the Apexis relics. They they didn't give them to the uh, to the Arakoa when they had the chance because you know no if we're going to keep it and use them because it gives us power. Why would we share that with you? <laughs> no, we're not giving them to you either. But the, the Apexis relics contain many secrets, uh, and some of the secrets were, for instance, the the curse of Seath that you know blighted the Arakoa. The ogres on on the the Draenor that became Outland used that to create the Red Pox, which is why the orcs then went to the elements and said, "Just can we just destroy Highmall, please? Just just destroy it." And so a cataclysmic elemental firestorm, not a firestorm, an elemental every element storm, erupted and completely annihilated Highmall on on our Draenor. And it was so bad that the orcs are like, "Oh, let's never team up again." Let's let's not, let's just not do that anymore. Yeah, the thing where we, we all get together and form like an army of just all the orc clans. Let's not do that again. And it wasn't until Gul'dan, not Gul'dan, sorry, uh, it wasn't until Nurzul that they ever tried it again because that was so bad. So I'm saying what I'm getting at is there's lots of secrets on either Draenor that he might have been interested in. We don't know what he was doing, but we do know he went to that world. The next time we see him is during the Chromie scenario, where he's just hanging out at the Black Dragon Shrine. Doesn't explain why he's there. He's like, oh yeah, I was just visiting. And keep in mind, that's in an alternate future? Yeah. So we don't know if our Rathion has been going there or not. And we don't know. Since then, we've not still not seen him, but we've seen his agents wandering around watching us as we're assembling the, the Heart of Azeroth. So what I'm getting at is, Rathion, I don't think he's doing something as... Like what Joe said, although Joe wasn't being serious, and I get his point. 
But I do think that Rathion is very deeply involved in something. Oh, yeah. And what I suspect is, I don't think he's the one that told Vol'jin to appoint Sylvanas. No. I, not th- I don't think, the reason I don't think he's the one that did that is because he would recognize that she is a terrible agent. So if you want to control an outcome, putting Sylvanas Windrunner in is absolutely the wrong thing to do. She's not a good, she's not a good catalyst. She doesn't make a good pawn, especially if she finds out she's being used and she's so paranoid. It's extremely hard for her not to find out she's being used because she'll assume you're trying to use her, whether or not you are. I honestly think we're going to, when we find out who it was that told Vol'jin to do this, it's going to be something like, all right, you want to hear my really crazy theory? Of course. course. It's Hakkar. (laughs) Okay. Hakkar did it. And that's why Hakkar has not shown up. That's why there's no sign of Hakkar. Even when the blood God started erupting throughout Zandalar, the Zandalari's greatest enemy who calls himself a blood God and who started the original blood plague that created the blood trolls in the first place was nowhere to be seen. Hakkar has made no appearances. Mm -hmm. Why? And who would hate the dark spear trolls enough to mess with Vol'jin. Well, Hakkar, if it wasn't for the Darkspear trolls, and plus at the same time, he kind of owes Vol'jin because the Darkspear trolls are the ones who balked the Zandalari when, when, when Hakkar was being captive. In, during Cataclysm, Hakkar was stuck inside Zul'Gurub. He was being used by Jindo, Jindo the Godbreaker was holding him in, pl- in in the astral plane. He was using those chains to, to hold him there and drain his power. The same way that the Drakari trolls were using up in Northrend, the same way that, that you know, um, Zul was trying to do in, in this expansion to the, to the various Loa. So there's stuff going on here. There's, there's a, I really think Hakkar is involved. I think Rathion's role is very much right now. He's in observation mode. And I think that he's trying to find the Dragon Isles because he thinks that's where he can fix things. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's he's manipulating Sylvanas to to destroy the Alliance or Horde. I think he's going for a much bigger plan. Yeah, but, what he didn't see, what he saw wasn't like it, for lack of a better term. There's a bigger threat we need to deal with. There's something bigger that needs to happen. He's focused on that. Here's my here's the reason. I went to Rathion in the first place. And like I said, I'm still poking around for evidence. But the reason that I went to Rathion for, in the first place is because... How did Rathion come to be? How did we oh, make him? The, tit- the Titan creation bit? Yeah, we used a Titan device to purify a bunch of different black dragon eggs into one. We still don't know what that device actually did. But there's something about Rathion that is different. And it's not just that he's an uncorrupted black dragon. It's that he's essentially a Titan Forge dragon in a way. In a way. Wait, well, I just saw something else about Wathian, just as you were talking, it occurred to me. Mm-hmm. Why do we assume that when he calls Deathwing father, that it's metaphorical? Because uh, I believe uh, Creative Development said that... that um, yeah. Yeah, they did say that, but creative development says lots of things. <laughs> yeah, they do. And then later on, suddenly, maybe Walks not. Walks it back, yeah. And that's something I've been thinking about for a while. Deathwing shows up during that quest line. He he knows what Rhea is doing. 
Yeah. And he does not like it. No. And it's Deathwing doesn't often show up personally. Just, you know, it's not, he doesn't show up personally when we destroy all the eggs at the Bastion of Twilight. He doesn't show up personally when we go to, you know, the, the Black Dragon Shrine and destroy all the Twilight eggs, you know, that Sartharian's guarding. Why does he show up personally for what Rhea's doing? Yeah. That's something that, you know, you're talking about him being Titanforged and that what if he's not just Titanforged? What if he is the actual heir? Well, here's here's my thought behind all of this. Like I said, when we created Rathion, it was we used a Blackwell corpse, a wild black dragon egg, and one of the eggs from Nixandria, and scrambled all those together somehow using the Eye of the Watchers. That's what that device was called. And we don't know what the Eye of the Watchers was really intended for, what its intended use was, because it's once once it finished doing what it was doing, it took off, and we never saw it again. But ever since then, Rathion, from the moment he hatched, he was kind of fixated on this whole quest of purifying the world in some ways because when we first encounter him you first encounter him if you play a rogue you encounter him during cataclysm um, right after he's hatched and the first thing that he wants you to do is he wants you to get rid of the last of the corrupted black dragons that are currently plaguing Azeroth he sends that rogue out specifically to dispatch all of those ending with Deathwing Deathwing is the last one on his list and as far as he is concerned, once that task is taken, is done with, it's over and done with, he's happy and he leaves um, because he's heard rumors of a new land or something like that. He's, he's like, I'm going to go take off and see what there is to see. And he takes off and he just leaves you with your really, really cool weapons, legendary weapons and whatnot. And we don't see him again until Miss of Pandaria. Um, he went to Pandaria when nobody else really knew Pandaria was a thing. He was already there and well established when we arrived. Um, when you show up and you start talking to him, he gives this big story about how he see, he's seen this terrible threat to Azeroth and it's divided Azeroth and we need to come together if we ever hope to conquer it. And he shows us this vision of Azeroth being bombarded with like these fell fireballs. Uh, it's the Burning Legion. The Burning Legion is coming. He knows that they're coming. And he says that the only way to prepare Azeroth for that coming threat is to have the two factions duke it out. One of them wins, dominates the other. So it's one united group fighting against the Burning Legion. And that's how we're going to defeat the Legion. But he can't just ask the rogues that helped him for this. He has to ask everyone to help him with this. So he leads us on this merry goose chase through Pandaria under this assumption that he's doing all of this to help us unite, come together so we can defeat the Burning Legion when the Burning Legion shows up. At the end of Mists of Pandaria, in the Siege of Orgrimmar, the Alliance technically has the upper hand. They have caught Garrosh Hellscream. They could get rid of him. They could dismantle the Horde. Jaina's pushing for it, even. And Varian says, no. But Varian also says, if you ever cross us again, we're not gonna hold back. 
um, and they take Garrosh into custody. And then all of that stuff with war crimes happens where he deliberately lets Garrosh go. He let he helps Kairos take Garrosh to this alternate Draenor and we all go to this alternate Draenor and we have this big adventure there and then what happens at the end of Warlords of Draenor? What happens? We defeat everything in Draenor and um, Archimond chucks Gul'dan through a portal and sends him to bring the Burning Legion to Azeroth. Basically, by arriving there and doing what we have done, we are the catalyst that brings the Legion to Azeroth. I don't think that Rathion was unaware of this fact. And the more I think about it, the more I wonder that initial vision that Rathion showed us, the one that got us like all focused on working for with him and everything. The one where the Legion was coming and we all had to unite to get together and actually like wipe it out and all this other stuff. Where was he during Legion? Where was he? Nowhere. Do we see him? No. Was that weird? Yes, because that seemed to be his 100% focus. That was supposedly the reason that he was talking to us throughout all of Missa Pandaria, was that he he wanted us to prepare for the coming of the Burning Legion. The Burning Legion arrived. Was Rathion anywhere to be seen? No. And that was weird. It was mm-hmm. really weird. It was weird through the whole expansion. And I talked about how weird it was through the whole expansion. And now that the Legion is gone and we've dealt with it and we have this big sword in the planet, now Rathion's showing up again? So what was his deal? And I keep going back to how we created Rathion with the Eye of the Watchers and everything else. It, I don't think that Rathion was concerned with the Legion coming back. I think he wanted the Alliance and Horde to unite, not to defeat the Legion, but for some other purpose. And it didn't work. And he was really upset about it. He was super upset about it. So upset that he just like completely disappeared and let Garrosh Hellscream escape? Like that doesn't even make any sense with how irritated he was. And he tells Anwin, very specifically, he says, I believe that this is going to be best for Azeroth in the coming conflict with the Legion, and that, you know, I hope that... He he hoped that Anduin would eventually understand his motives and even stand with him as a brother when the time came. The time came and went, and Rathion was nowhere to be seen. I don't think that's what Rathion was talking about. So... That's kind of part of the reason why I was wondering if Rathion was behind all of this. Because like I said, it when he left at the end of the Siege of Orgrimmar, when he flew off, he said that he was, he was going to make no mistake. He was going to do what he had to do, whatever it took to get it done. And if you're looking at the situation from the perspective of a two-year-old, because <laughs> he was only two at that point, he was still a little dragon. If you're looking at it from that perspective, you look at Garrosh, you look at Varian, you look at Varian sparing Garrosh's life, and you go, okay, there's two things out of place here. Number one, Varian's too good. Number two, Garrosh isn't bad enough. One of these situations has to change to make this thing happen that I want to happen. I'm going to say something here. Go ahead. If he thought Varian was too good... Yeah. And... (laughs) Garrosh wasn't bad enough letting Anduin become king of the Alliance? Yeah. I know, right? Absolutely that would seem a colossally kind of, bad idea. That would seem completely out of place. And the thing is, maybe he didn't think that Varian was going to die. I don't know. I don't know. 
but I feel See, like there's more going on with Rathion here than anything he initially showed us. You know what I mean? There's I do, just I do there's too that. many weird coincidences. Yeah, and I and I agree with that that he's more he's probably more involved than we think. But I See, don't. I keep coming around to this. I keep coming around to this basic idea. If the hour of twilight was a fake out by the old gods, especially Nazoth, to clear the direct dragons off the board when Rathion was created. Rathion is exactly what Nazoth would not have wanted. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. Yes. There's no way they want an uncorrupted black dragon. If we go by, by what Dave Kosak has said, you know, Deathwing is not Rathion's biological father, but he is his grandfather because yeah. Nisandra is his daughter. She's Anixia's sister. Uh, so Deathwing's get, this is Deathwing's biological descendant. And that would make him, when he calls himself the Black Prince, he's not pulling one. He no. is the Black Prince. Yeah. He is heir to the position of Earth Warder. If the Dragonflights came back, if somehow they managed to get around what Nazoth has done, where they sacrifice their powers to seal Deathwing away forever so he could never come back, it would be Rathion who became the Earth Warder. Yep, by right. And we're talking. We talk about the Eye of the Watcher. The, sorry, the Eye of the Watchers. And it was found where? It was found in um, the Badlands. Not actually Oldaman, but a it was in, near Oldaman. It, it was yeah. It was in that area. And when who, you went down to go find it, it was protected by Titan stuff. Who would have put it there? I, I got know. one name for you. I got a name for you. Tear. Yep. Yep. Tyr is the one that led his people to what's now the Eastern Kingdoms. And it was Tyr's friends and his helpers, Arcadus and Ironaya, who went to Aldemon. Tyr stopped, of course, to fight off the two old god minions. And who was one. the dude that empowered the dragon flights to begin with? Tyr. Mm-hmm. And what was Tyr, like, what was Tyr and his group called? They were the Watchers. Yeah. So... What was that device? Is it the device that they used in the first place to empower the original Dragonfly? I know, right? Like, what was it? <laughs> and now we think about this. That device is gone. But in the process, it used each of the things. It, it used the, the dragon corpse, the the wild black dragon egg, and the, you know, the, the egg of Nisandra, the heir to Deathwing, in its creation. And it, what it did was it, in each, it scanned each and removed the old god corruption and then combined them to create the egg that became Rathion. And Deathwing was so motivated to destroy that egg that he personally went to do it. He didn't send minions. He went to kill her himself. And she had to sacrifice her own egg. Yep. To, to, he thought he had destroyed it. Why was it so important that he destroy it personally? Why was it so important when he didn't care about so many different eggs that got destroyed? Why was this egg so important? And why didn't he keep it? Why didn't he take say, give me the egg? Why didn't he want that egg around when he was so concerned about reproducing his flight that he was stealing Alex Alexstrasza's eggs to do it? Why didn't he want an uncorrupted black dragon egg? Not just an uncorrupted one, but I mean, Rathion, unlike Ebonhorn, He's not tracked. No, oh. he's he's not constantly assaulted. He is. It's almost like when Rathion the old gods was created, don't know where he is. He's a blind spot. I think, and I've been thinking about this a lot. I, I think with the combination of everything we did, it isn't so much that 
he is uncorrupted. He is. And I don't think that's what the process did. I think the process made him a blind spot. It removed him from the matrix. Kinda. So, like, if you think about it, the old gods see and touch everything in some capacity because that's what they do. They're they're woven Actually, into the fabric in some way. I, I need to do this before you keep going because sure. you just made me think of this. The old gods made the pact, corrupted Deathwing, and he made a pact with them. Mm-hmm. And he brought his flight into the pact. And all his descendants, whether or not they're evil, whether they're they're part of that pact, they don't they have a choice. They're they they were included. And that's why Deathwing is so about reproducing and so wants to bring in other flights. And but when he had a chance, when he had a perfect black dragon egg, he didn't want it like, because it's not part of the pact. That's what they removed. The pact is the corruption. It's just like the curse of flesh. Yep. The curse of flesh is a deal. It's it's their will. When you remove it, that's why they can remove it because it's them. It's their working. That's why whenever they want to, they can get you to work. They can get the Tolvia to work for them by saying, oh, yeah, Deathwing knows how to remove it. Because he does know how to remove it. He has his bosses take it off you. And what does the Eye of the Watchers do? Why did Tyr know how to do that? Because remember, Tyr did. Mm-hmm. Tyr knew how to pr- to prevent this. Because he got the eyes. He got the the discs of Norganon, the true discs of Norganon. He stole them. And he took them to Uldaman. Think Think about what we're talking about. Because everything you guys both are saying ties into this. You're saying you think that what they removed was their ability to track him. They can't track him because he's not of them. Right. And if he's not of them, what is he? Ian talked about him being a Titanforge kind of dragon. But it's more than that. He is the Earth Warder. He is. Which what happens means... when, when Caligos got that we know that the right of succession exists. The Titans developed a right of succession for the aspects mm-hmm. because we've seen it used for Malagos's to get yeah. and they picked Caligos. They picked Caligos despite the fact that they were like all over the place at the time. Caligos got chosen. There's a method to this. They weren't meant to stop. How do we know about the hour of twilight in the first place? They told us. Who are they? The the aspects or the Titans? Did the Titans tell us about it? I believe it was Nozormu that told us. And and how much can we really trust him? He told us about this after he saw us kill him. There's there's a lot going on here that we've been. And of it's course, we're so not like complicated, way... and we're super over time, unfortunately. <laughs> but I think if you if you look at the two things you guys have both said, if you look at what we're talking about for Rathion. Rathion is an almost perfect recreation of uncorrupted Neltharion. He's devious. He's intelligent. He's completely ruthless. These are all qualities that Neltharion had. If you go back and read the uh, Dawn of the Aspects book, Neltharion had these aspects when he was a proto-drake. He was smart. He was devious. He was cunning. He was also capable of great affection because he loved Malagos. Loved him. Thought he was great. Yeah, he loved all of them. Yeah, that was in him. And you see that with Rathion and Anduin. Whether or not like you want to get into the shipping, Rathion cared enough about Anduin, thought enough of him that he tried to spare him. To get him out of the way so he yeah, wouldn't he get all caught up in all of this. Doesn't want him hurt. Says to him, you know, hey, when I'm big enough, maybe we can go fly places together. Straight up says that to him. That's in the book. 
That's not some fanfic somebody wrote, unless you count Christy Golden, and I don't think you can. No. She's right, you know, <laughs> it was in them. War Crimes. It was yeah. like flat out there in War Crimes. They, they're like best friends slash brothers, if nothing else. It's And, and again, who... Who is he like? He's like Neltharion. He is like his grandfather. Blood will out. When you take the old god corruption out, what is left is a black dragon. He is a black dragon. It's pretty fascinating. Um, Rathion is one of those characters, like I said, um, multiple times over. Multiple times over. I'm a big fan of Rathion, and I was always really upset when he didn't show up. But if this is all leading up to something bigger, then I feel like we're going to see what this is all leading up to sooner rather than later. I don't know if the next expansion is going to be, you know, to go back to one of the earlier questions, I don't know if this expansion, this next expansion that's coming up is going to be anything involving the dragon flights or anything like that. But I feel like their involvement is about to get larger again. And I'm okay with that because I was, I was... I didn't like how they were treated at the end of Cataclysm. I didn't like it. Yeah, I agree. I didn't think they deserved that kind of an ending. It wasn't really a noble ending. It was more like a womp womp at the end of all of this stuff that they have sacrificed and gave. It, this is how it ends? Like, that does, it didn't seem right. It was literally the person who worked at the company for 30 years and then got the letter that says your services are no longer required. Yeah, and it just it was like no that doesn't sit right with me so i'm kind of excited to see where things go but regardless we are over time here so we need to go ahead and wrap things up uh blizzard watch it's made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzard watch and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow blizzard watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue and an as free site experience and for you guys the listeners of blizzard watch audible's offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service war crimes is one of those books that's available i know we've been talking about it a lot throughout this episode you could get the audiobook version as your free audiobook download if you want. Uh, there's a bunch of other Blizzard tit- titles there as well if you want to listen to other Blizzard stuff. I know we've mentioned Before the Storm several times over. Um, but if you're not interested in the Blizzard stuff, there's literally thousands and thousands of other titles available on Audible. Listen to it in your car. Listen to it, you know, in your free time. Whatever. It's all good. It's a free. You get a free download. Free downloads are great. You can download any of Blizzard titles or any of those other ones at blizzardwatch.com slash audible where every sign-up helps support the show and everything that we do. Final thoughts, you guys. Are there any other dragons that you want to see come back and make an appearance? Because I know we've been talking Rathion to death, but are there any others that you want to see more of? soon joe so weird one i still want to see a rebirth of you sarah okay um just because her spirit's still around and she happens to be in the emerald dream which we know is already always built as a blueprint or backup of azeroth there's entirely a possibility that they could bring her back in some capacity in i don't want to say the same way that they do rathion or you know do it in su- such a way that a successor is chosen in which her wisdom is bestowed upon that that successor. Ysera the Dreamer, Ysera the Awakened, Ysera the Reborn? Yep. And that would be a really great excuse to go to the Dragon Isles, especially if there's a device there that helps to to kick off the uh, fertility or whatever you want to call it of the Dragon Races again. Okay, Rossi, same question. 
Sableman. Yes. I almost forgot I want, about him. <laughs> I want all the black dragons that are currently around to come together and have kind of their family reunion where you've got Sablemane as the heir to all the evil, crazy stuff. You've got Ebonhorn who wants to be good and is trying to like, you know, protect and shepherd his people. And then you've got Rathion, the youngest of the three, the only one that actually is free of the old gods who needs to try and deal with these two. I mean, I don't think Rathion wants to kill Ebonhorn. No, because if he did, he'd have done it by now. He's had opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. He'd, he'd have had that guy killed. Um, but I also think he doesn't want to leave him unwatched because Ebonhorn is not out of the pact. Just because he doesn't want to do evil stuff doesn't mean he's free. And I don't think he's aware of Sablemane. No. I. That's why it would be great to have Sablemane come back. Because Sablemane, yeah, uh, we don't have that many children of Deathwing left. Rathion went through and systematically wiped all of them out, as far as we know. Except for the ones, except for the ones like Nefarian that were dead before he got to it. Um, yeah you know but yeah as far as we know the, the rest are gone but sable Main's still alive and pretty powerful um you know he was up there and i want to see him come back i want to see what does he do when he comes back what is sable Main's plans and i also i i don't i don't feel like i don't feel like not just the dragon's got a raw deal that's true i absolutely do feel that way but i don't feel like it's a, the game same game without dragons yeah. You know, it's not, I'm just going to say this Warcraft's bit so hard on dungeons and dragons that it's never getting away from it. And we, we have plenty of dungeons. If we don't have enough dragons, I'm starting to feel sad and sick. It just, it isn't the same game without yeah, dun- dungeons and tentacles doesn't have the same, same feel. No, I, I want, no. <laughs> I want them to come. I want this there to be, even if they don't come back as aspects, I want there to be a future for them in yeah. the game world. I want there to be the possibility that they could be more of them, that they could have eggs, that the eggs could hatch, there could be new baby dragons, that they could replace themselves. It doesn't have to be dragons everywhere all the time. But we have so many cool dragon flights out there, like the Stormborn that we saw in, in Legion. I don't want dragons to go away. I don't like that idea. So I would like to see that dealt with. I want to see the dragons come back. Okay. Well, thank you very much, guys, for coming along on this journey of emails. We didn't get to all of them. Uh, we will probably address some more next time. Again, if you've got an email for the show, send that to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Put Lorewatch in the subject line so that we know that it's intended for this show. Um, thanks, as always, you guys, for listening. And we will see you again in two weeks. 